On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Eichert and Lehman, we're joined by ESPN's Mike Golick Jr. to discuss the biggest national stories in college football, the blue chip ratio, the University of Houston suspending voluntary workouts, UT athletes demanding changes on campus, and a new development at Iowa. Before we talk to Mike, we dive into local college football news, OU and OSU guys being named to preseason All-American teams, Malcolm Rodriguez testing positive for COVID-19, and Greg Abbott's comments about seating capacity and how that affects the schools in Oklahoma. In Football Guys Talking Basketball, we give you the latest details on the NBA's return and the pushback from some players led by Kyrie Irving. We give you our winners and losers of the weekend and talk about a big donation from Trey Young in keeping it local. As always, we finish by answering your Twitter questions. Please download and subscribe to the podcast rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, my man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Monday, June 15th. Now we're recording this on Sunday night. Just a reminder, our sponsorship packet is done. And Ted, we've got a few meetings this week. Ah. We, we've, we've gotten, I, I would say they're in between nibbles and bites. How about that? Yeah, so fingers crossed. They're still targeting August 3rd as our first episode with sponsorship reads. So if your business would like more information on sponsoring the podcast during football season, Email Teddy and me at the Oklahoma Breakdown at gmail.com. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk some football. We've got Mike Golick Jr. to talk about all the national stories in college football coming up. But first, let's take a look at some of the local stories in college football. And let's start with Chuba Hubbard and Creed Humphrey, who were both named first-team preseason Walter Camp All-Americans, which we all know how important preseason All-American teams are, Ted. That's, that's where the real players are decided, but still a, a good honor, a solid honor for two really damn good football players here in the state of Oklahoma. So you've got Chuba Hubbard and Creed Humphrey that were named first-team on the preseason Walter Camp All-American teams, and you've got Tylen Wallace, who was named second team. And I was thinking about it because I don't know the last time Oklahoma State had more preseason All-American guys than Oklahoma, but I couldn't really make an argument, really. No. I mean, I, I was trying to think about maybe OU guys that got snubbed from these lists, and Walter Camp is, you know, kind of, you know, the creme de la creme of the lists, but were you surprised that there weren't any other OU guys? Because it's kind of a mystery right now who their big-time playmakers are going to be, not just on offense, 
but on defense too. So I, I mean, I know it's not an ideal situation right now, but there's really no one where I was like, oh yeah, that guy should have been on there. The only one I could think of maybe, but I, I don't know the, the list of kickers out there very well would be Burkich since he hasn't missed one, but that's a good one. That's a good point. Other than that, we're going to start a new quarterback. Um, our, our best player offensively, CD lamb is gone. Uh, you know, Creed's the leader of that offensive line and, and he gets the, the first team nod there. I, everyone else, I just, you know, we've got some, some really good players and, and I fully expect by the end of the season that, we're going to have another breakout wide receiver star. We're going to have we're going to have some star names, and the All Big Twelve list is going to be riddled with Oklahoma players. But best player on uh, the defensive line, Neville Gallimore, interior gone. Kenneth Murray, uh, best linebacker that we had gone. So, you know, we're missing all those guys. We're set up nicely to replace most of them, but uh, I I really don't have much beef beef with it. The only thing is. You know, Tyler Wallace's second team, you know, you think that I, – I personally think he's better than Chuba Hubbard, but, you know, wide receivers a, a, a much more packed room. And uh, having missed last season, it's really hard to claim that number one spot, that first team spot. So, really don't have much beef with it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, it kind of made me come to the realization that we don't really know who the offensive playmakers for Oklahoma are going to be. I I think a lot of us anticipated it being Jaden Hazelwood. Well, with the injury, it doesn't sound like he's going to play at all. You've got Trajan Bridges, who is going to be in all likelihood suspended for the first five games. Will it be Theo Weiss, who showed flashes of being a really, really good player? That's who I like during his freshman season it's got to be Theo Weiss right to step up I think he's going to be a breakout guy wide receiver um you know I'd watch out for the running back room you know we've got a bunch of different guys that I feel like have the opportunity to be really good and you know everyone's kind of going into this season focused on Kennedy Brooks and he's really good don't get me wrong here but Rarely has Lincoln Riley been a one running back guy. Now we saw that happen down the stretch last season, you know, and and now we end up with Trey Sermon at Ohio state, but um, you know, I would expect some other running backs, you know, you could take a, you know, a guess at any flip a coin on who it might be, but I think another running back is going to emerge. And um, I think we may have some guys over the middle too. You know, our fullback and tight end situation is looks really good. So we may have some guys emerge there. But as of right now, it looks lean at playmakers. But you and I know that Oklahoma replaces those guys better than anyone else. We kind they, of go through this almost they better. every year. Yeah. They better. Yes. Yeah, it seems like we, we have certainly had this discussion before. All right, and another big story locally, um, the identity of one of the other Oklahoma State players that tested positive for coronavirus has been revealed and he revealed it himself. Malcolm Rodriguez puts out a Twitter post uh, saying that he has tested positive for COVID-19 and did so when he came back and was tested by the university. Remember Rodriguez is a Wagner native. He was also their team's leading tackler last year and really 
really converted to the linebacker position well after moving down from safety. I was really impressed. Probably shouldn't have been surprised because, like our boy Kelly Gregg always said, hey, he was a wrestler. Yeah, Shouldn't, yeah, shouldn't be surprised. Right. But that, That's exactly right. When you, when you look at it, you've got Malcolm Rodriguez and Eamon Ongbamamiga as two of the three that we're assuming tested positive for Oklahoma State football. Do, do you worry that it's your best players if you're Mike Gundy? Are you going, okay, guys, like, can we get some like redshirt freshmen that we're not going to play at all? Can those be the guys testing positive? Not your best two players on defense. I guess, what, is Colby Harvell-Peel going to test positive next? I, well, here's the thing. Part of you is probably a little nervous. The other part of you is probably like, oh, gosh, man, hopefully that if they test positive now, um, you know, they're not going to be able to get it again later whenever it's really going to matter. That's a uh, great point. But Are they you know, doing it on purpose? I don't know. <laughs> right. I, you know, I, he is a heck of a player. And you look at that Oklahoma State defense, although they had – probably the worst game plan I've ever seen in the history of organized football last year against Not Oklahoma. Great. They do have some really good players and they have them at all three levels. A uh, couple of great safeties um, backers are solid and they've got, you know, a lot of times returning starters is a, a stupid statistic, but in this case with Oklahoma state's defense, I don't necessarily think it is. I think they're returning some pretty good football players and they've got a chance defensively to be, way better than they've been recently and maybe one of the better squads in, in the Big 12. Yeah, and I think this year, especially when you're missing spring ball and you're not getting maybe some development from the young guys, it's important to have veteran players uh, like Malcolm Rodriguez, like Harvell Peel, you know, like Ombog Mamiga. It's, it's going to be interesting because – when you have returning starters, they've played football. And I know that sounds simple, but, you know, some of these guys for other teams, especially in the Big 12, that are having to replace a lot of starters on the defensive side of the ball, they haven't played in games. Right. They haven't gotten those reps. And it's hard to simulate that. And in my opinion, it's impossible to simulate that. You, you just have to play. And you have to play in big-time games. So – they're in a good spot. I'm with you. I think they're in a good spot. Now, one other big story, even though it's in the state of Texas, it, it certainly affects Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott had a conference call with the Division I athletic directors in the state of Texas on Friday, and information from it leaked out because, of course, it's 2020 and – People want to know what these people were talking about. And Greg Abbott basically said that he's anticipating a stadium capacity will probably be at 50% to start the football season. Now, not extremely encouraging because remember, Greg Abbott was the same guy that went from 25% to 50% real quick. And we thought things were trending in the right direction. But, you know, with some of these spikes, in coronavirus cases we're seeing in several states. Is this something we should be concerned about, that he, he kind of flat out told these athletic directors, hey, expect 50% to start the season? Or it, I, it can always improve from here. Yeah. 
I, I think that's probably the thing is 50% is a, that's a good place to stay. There's no reason right now to start declaring 75% or 80% or 100% or even give a, a date where you may do that. We've got a long time between now and whenever these games are going to be kicking off. So um, I think just to say plan on that and we'll adjust accordingly, I think it's being conservative. But on the other end of it, we don't necessarily know. And it is a little bit troublesome to think of a reality because well, I've felt all along that we're going to have full stadiums so to to think of the reality okay well at least maybe if we're going to the state of texas which oklahoma is nowhere near as impacted as the state of texas is when it comes to the coronavirus so um maybe whenever we're visiting the state for football games that those stadiums are going to be at 50 percent capacity you know part of you is like hey that's actually edge for us going down there and those home environments aren't going to be as difficult but it still is scary to think about that okay, yeah, maybe maybe this thing is going to be limited whenever we get there in September. Yeah, and I mean, no offense to any of the other states, especially not the state of Oklahoma. You know, we've got diehard football fans here, but the state of Texas, like, they really care about football, like a right. lot. So if they're going to be at 50% capacity, I got a feeling that, Maybe everyone just might be. And remember, that's just to, he, he was talking about just to start the season. So you could expand capacity from there. But yeah, that was, uh, that was kind of one of those moments where you realize that, okay, yeah, this, uh, this whole coronavirus thing, it's still around and it's still going to affect the college football season. It's annoying. I'm, I'm over. The coronavirus. I'm, I'm know, so man. over it. I was – Friday was like the first day where I was – I legitimately got mad, where I was just like, you know what? This thing – this thing sucks. I'm over it because I got this notification. Like, I had still had this trip we're supposed to go on next week, and my phone, it pops up. Hey, don't forget about your trip next week. And I was like, mother coronavirus. That's just yeah. – I my think we're all at that point. That. We were supposed to go to uh, Disney World, and uh, that got canceled. So imagine my son. And I, I'll admit that I was kind of thinking, yes, you know, no Disney World. I don't No have long to, lines. Uh, I don't have to sit, bake in the sun, standing in line. But, man, it is, it's frustrating because we've been dealing with this for a while now. I mean, oh, and starting to wear on me, Ted. I've, I've held strong for so long, but – when that notification popped up, it was like, hey, you're going to Switzerland next week. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> How dare you? That's funny. Stupid coronavirus. All right, let, let's move on to the national storylines in college football. And to help us do that, we were joined by ESPN's Mike Golick Jr. And here is that interview. It is our pleasure to be joined by the co-host of Golik and Wingo on ESPN Radio. You can also see his absolutely beautiful face on every ESPN platform that exists on planet Earth. Mike Golik Jr. is in the house to talk some college football. How we doing, big guy? I'm doing better after that. I need to get ESPN to invent more platforms so we can keep going with that because I like 
I like the way that sounds when in actuality, I keep telling people, I just keep weaving myself into all the nooks and crannies. So it's harder for them to fire me. It's a real heady play. I think it's worked so far. I love that. Hey, if I know anything about uh, ESPN technology, they're going to figure out more platforms, right? That it's coming. It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. It's coming. Ever, oh, yeah. ever expanding, ever Always. expanding. Now, Mike, we, we've been friends for a long time. So uh, I feel like it's only right that this is kind of an informal interview, more of a round table of three boys talking college football, as opposed to us just asking you questions because that would just be kind of weird and boring since we're friends. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No, I think it would be. And quite frankly, it'd be a waste of like all of the college football knowledge that's sitting here on this podcast. Like there's a lot more and a lot better perspectives than just mine on this. So I'm, I, I especially knowing a lot of the things that are hanging out there right now, I'm really curious to, to hear what you guys have on a, on a lot of this. Cause quite frankly, I'm going to steal your very good opinions as they come up and repurpose them on the radio show when I go on tomorrow. So that's really all we're doing here, right? Is uh, just <laughs> gathering other opinions to use and steal. I love I, it. Hey, I like it. Let's start with this boys. Um, buddy, about Elliot, he, he comes out with his list of blue chip ratios, r- blue chip ratio teams every year. And if anyone out there is not familiar with Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio theory. It basically says that a team has to have more four and five stars than two and three stars over the last four recruiting classes to be able to win a national championship. And for the last several years and for a lot of, you know, recent college football history, it checks out. It certainly does. So, Bud Elliott this week, he came out with, his percentages of blue chip ratio teams, and he gave us 15 teams that he says can win the national championship. Alabama, to no one's surprise, comes in 83% blue chip ratio. Uh, Georgia, 82%. Ohio State, 80%. And then quite a big drop off to the fourth team, Texas, at 64%. And you've got LSU, OU, Clemson and Florida all sitting at 63%. Some other teams meeting the threshold, Michigan, Auburn, Penn State, the Golden Domers of Notre Dame. That's for you, Golick. And Washington, USC, and Texas A&M coming in at the 15th spot. So I know that a lot of people look at this and go, yeah, no, duh, you want better football players. But there's also those people out there that go, Hey, stars don't matter. It's about development. It's like, guys, that's the biggest load of shit ever. Stars do matter. Yeah, I think that's always been – and I got into this argument with Clemson people a while ago because that A is one of the more sensitive fan bases in college football, as I found out. But B is one that's hyper-obsessed. And most people take what you just said, Gabe, as a slight against the coach when you try and argue that stars matter. Programs who identify with their coach want to say, we've got this great developer of talent, a guy who's going to do what other people can't with the talent that most other people would turn away. When in reality, Clemson's program is the perfect testament to what we're talking about here. They've been built on the Christian Wilkins, the Deshaun Watsons of the world, all this great marquee talent, most recently T Higgins and a number of those other guys that just walked out the door. Like you're right. This should be the most obvious alarm sound to everyone who's ever watched a college football game. I think it's funny, you know, everyone's got their 
example of, well, we had a three-star guy that won the Heisman, or we had a three-star guy that ended up being a first-round draft pick, and there's there are a couple of those stories out there, but that's that's not the rule. That's the exception, right? Those those things, I wouldn't say rarely happen. Guys do fall through the cracks. And the other thing is, you're talking about 16, 17, 18 year old guys that are getting offered scholarships and committing. And we've all seen guys that show up six one, two hundred twenty pounds, and by the time they're a senior, they're six foot five, and you know have put on sixty pounds of muscle. I mean, it's these are this is a time when guys are growing dramatically and can turn into different players but it's all about the it's all about the uh the five star guys i mean it really is you can go back and look at all the rosters you can look at all of the first round draft picks i mean there is a direct correlation between five stars and going in the first round and there's no exact science i mean just like we all have a story of a two star that turned into a all-American we also have five-star guys that never even looked at the field so there is no perfect science but I would say that the rivals 247 sports all those all those groups are getting better and better and better at evaluating the talent there's there's way more opportunities to see these guys whether it's camps whether it's huddle whatever it is there's more exposure than ever and there's there's no doubt about it um I will say though you know, it is interesting that, you know, some of these programs that are in a threshold with other people fell year after year after year. And are, I, I do is, think is that's this what, the is this the part where you just shit on Texas A&M? Yeah. <laughs> OK, this is exactly I, that I figured part. that was coming at some point. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, but it's true. There, there are some places that, you know, for whatever reason, they always recruit well. They've got four-star, five-star guys. They're, you know, a top-ten class every year. But for whatever reason, whether it's coaching staff, whether it's philosophy, whether it's just that, that losing tradition that is stuck around the, the program that can never get over the hump. Yeah. yeah and- well, it, it's, like, it's interesting, too, looking in that regard at, like, a program like USC that now this is going to be interesting is how well the years prior have done because I think their most recent class is, like, 57th when it came in at least and I know in our rankings for ESPN they were in the 50s but in general it was an abject disaster of a recruiting class for them but there's been such a bulk of talent there we're not that far removed from that Sam Darnold led Rose Bowl team like all those things are true and last year it also I think this shows the value of injury in the right spots right because USC had a freak show talent wise last year especially offensive skill guys on their roster but when the most important position on your team gets as injured as it did at USC last year, you're going to have a hard time, even when you land on your eventual starter like Keaton Slovis, to ultimately be able to produce at that level. So that probably highlights the depth as much as anything, why this is a four-year sample size. Yeah, and, and that's the important part about the blue-chip ratio for me is just what you said, Mike. It, it's depth because a lot of people think about – the four and five star guys coming into the program and then producing during games. The way your team gets better is you've got all those talented guys going at it in practice. That's where the depth of a football team is built. That's where if you lose a couple guys to injury, like you mentioned, you've got guys that have been 
practicing against each other. You know, like the old saying, it's cliche as hell, but iron sharpens iron. You get a bunch of talented, physically gifted guys going at it every day in practice. I mean, Mike, just like when you were playing at Notre Dame, Ted, just like when we were playing at OU, the hardest thing was practice. I mean, playing against really, really talented guys that know your schemes, that know your calls. I mean, that's where the real work happens. And when you when you just stockpile four- and five-star guys and you get over this threshold that Bud Elliott has got for this blue-chip ratio, that's where the improvement in a football team comes. It, it's not just that you have talent. It's that that talent is working against each other every single day. I, I like – I always make the, the joke about Alabama – when you look at their kickoff coverage team running down the field, it's like those guys start everywhere in the country except for Alabama, right? And it's it's guys are terrifying. And first round draft picks, <laughs> it's insane. It looks like uh, looks like the X Men running down uh, covering a kickoff. But you know, you do look like take for instance last year, Baylor Bears. Baylor had one of the best defenses I've seen in the Big Twelve in a long time. They were disciplined. They were led by seniors. But what they had their best, one of their best players on defense, their Mike Backer, got hurt. And whenever someone like that loses a big time guy, it's just like you go from stud to just a guy really quickly. And as we all know, college football, man, you're going to get injuries, whether it's a, a rolled ankle in a game and you got to miss the second half, or it's a torn ACL in training camp and someone's got to fill in. I mean, Gabe, look at our game against LSU last year. Not saying it's a difference in the game, but, you know, we that have – That secondary that the Sooners rolled out in the old Peach Bowl, uh, not very good. It just yeah. – you just got to go – they didn't have the depth. They just didn't it's have exactly the depth. It. Ronnie Perkins is out. You know, we miss a couple of guys because of a, of a failed test, and we got no replacement for that. Kenneth Murray has to come out in the game, and, you know, while I like Meade, he's, he's nowhere close to Kenneth Murray. So – you have an injury, you have a guy miss a class, miss some grades, uh, flunk some type of drug test, and all of a sudden you have a massive fall off in play. Well, and that same thing happened in Notre Dame when they played Clemson in the CFP playoff uh, two years ago. You have Julian Love, your starting corner, go down for like a real, just like a few minute span of actual game time. And during that time period, Trevor Lawrence, it's Justin Ross and T. Higgins for a couple of daggers and all of a sudden a game that was a one score game for the lion's share of the first half and a defensive struggle starts to pop open. And then you see the effects of all that. So you combine that also with just the way that college football's now playoff, but even back when it was the BCS is structured is all of that depth allows you during the season. If you're these coaches, if you're Nick Saban, if you're Dabo to grind these guys extra hard because you've got 40 days in between your last meaningful game of the regular season or the conference playoff. Now, I still in that area a little less now with the playoff, but you get this big idea. You've got this massive gap in time where you get to get healthy. And so now all that depth that you use to take body blows off your starters for the majority of the year ends up being the best possible supplement and giving you the best version of this Voltron monster you've built for your playoff team. So college football's playoff structure allows for this to be an even bigger advantage than it would already be. Yeah, but I think there's there's no doubt development matters, coaching clearly matters, but just getting those guys, getting 
getting those guys that are simply more talented in high school and then getting them on campus and developing the more talented guys. That's the best way to do it, Mike. Well, and I think that's a real – because when you look at a couple of the names on this list, it's why things are going to get real interesting for Tom Urban, Tom Herman and Kirby Smart real soon. Because if you keep rolling out classes like Jim Kirby Harbaugh Smart is recruiting – Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh as well. Kirby, you know what? Him and Tom Herman should probably be one and two on that. But Kirby Smart, it's going to get real interesting because you had stability at the quarterback position. You let Jake Fromm chase off a couple of five-star talent guys because you thought he was the dude, and you rolled out an offense that was still operating in the Stone Age, and now not getting over the Alabama hump is probably going to be one of those things like Urban Meyer not or uh, Jim Harbaugh not being able to beat Urban Meyer. But – People can only tolerate that for so long. So Todd Munkin's got a lot on his plate this year going in there as the OC. Like, if they don't let him open some things up and make some things happen on that offense, I have a feeling we're going to start to hear some of those rumbles that Jim Harbaugh got last year. The, the real game changer for me has been, like, Alabama for the longest time since Saban's been there has just – I mean, it's been ridiculous the amount of players they have there. LSU has, you know, traditionally had a ton of great players, corners, linebackers, uh, rush guys on the outside, uh, running back, skill position players. What's really changed and I think is just vaulted, you know, the Clemsons, the Alabamas ahead of everyone else is the quarterback situation. I mean, for the longest time, Alabama had every position on the field, but they were just okay at quarterback. They weren't bad at quarterback. They were just okay, but they were good enough everywhere else that they could still go out there and win championships. I mean, remember when they played LSU? Was that 2012? It was like a, what, 10 The rematch? Of, oh, yeah, yeah. rather watch oh. paint dry than that national oh. championship game. I mean, good Lord. You've got, you've got 40 badasses out on the field and then two, like, nobody quarterbacks that aren't going to move the ball. But that's changed, man. And the way Alabama's recruiting at quarterback right now, uh, the kid out of California that's that's going to be there as a freshman supposed to be unbelievable. Clemson's got the ukulele kid uh, coming in behind Trevor Lawrence. I used to you had an opportunity if you had a super special quarterback. Think Auburn. Think Vince Young at Texas. You had a super special quarterback. You could go in 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 a one game championship format. You had a chance where that guy could go out there have the game of his life. You win a championship. Well. They've caught up on the quarterback race, and now you've got that plus one. I mean, you've got, you've got an extra game to go through where it's a little more rare that you're going to get that type of play from, from just a, a, a one-in-a-lifetime one type of quarterback. So that's changed the game, man. The quarterback recruiting at Alabama, uh, LSU, obviously with Burrow, that's Ohio State. If they keep bringing in those guys, man, it's going to be really hard to win a championship. Now they've got all the creatures – and the best quarterbacks? That's not right. fair. Not. That's not how it's supposed to go. Um, guys, uh, another big story this week in college football comes from the University of Houston. Surprised a lot of people, right? They suspended their voluntary workouts with six symptomatic student athletes in various sports testing positive for the coronavirus. I, I thought that we had come to a place where, yeah, we all recognize that people are going to test positive. And I, I know that these student athletes were symptomatic, but when you look at it, Houston, they didn't test 
their student athletes when they got back to campus, which is absolutely idiotic to me, boys. And then all of a sudden you have people test positive. And I know there's a lot of protests going on in Houston. And I know there's been a spike and all these things. I, I understand, but I was really surprised when they just shut it all down, Mike. I, I, I thought we were past this point. And this had me going, wait, 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 wait. Should I be worried? Because it's not like, I mean, Houston's right in the heart of, of Big 12 country here, man. This, this makes me pause a little, just a little bit. Yeah, I, I was a lot more worried until I read, and it was almost like a throwaway in there. It's, oh, by the way, Houston, like you said, didn't test their student athletes when they got back to campus. It was only if you were showing symptoms. And I said, in all of the dumbassery, how did we <laughs> land on this? And like you said, Houston was a program that was flirting with potential, you know, power, like a, the potential move to the power five, huge TV market, all these reasons why that school in particular, and I get it, not everyone is going to be able to maybe afford pulling in the volume of tests that a lot of these big time D1 power five schools are going to. But at the very least, like, you have had these kids all out in all places of the world, wherever they are at home, and they're coming back to campus. If you were going to spend the bulk of your money on tests at any point, it would be when they first come back. So I'm, I am, I'm only interested in, like you said, is I always wondered, and the question hanging out there was, what was going to be enough positive tests? And symptomatic, I think, is important to trigger a shutdown in all of this. And I right. think because of the uncertainty of, well, we didn't test anyone before this, and now we got to do all the contract contact tracing and things like that, they left way too many variables hanging out there in the open. I, I, their strategy made no sense to me. So it feels a little more like a one-off. Yeah. I, you, the, the worst thing about it, you know, is – that they're shutting this thing down and everyone else across the country is going to hit the panic button a little bit, right? Like, do we have to shut down now if we have uh, six positive tests? I mean, what's, how is that going to be viewed for the rest of us? Um, are we coming back too quick? Everyone starts to maybe panic a little bit, but you know, this is my, this is my weekly, you know, PSA to where I continue to say, the safest place for these guys all along would have been campus. So now we're going to suspend the workouts and send them all back home. Go back to where you got the virus. And then we'll come back, you know, it's just, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't understand you, why everyone keeps punting the ball later and later instead of get everyone on campus Let, you're gonna have some things come let's up. talk about it ted I, I i feel like you you need to get it out bud just let's let's talk about it yeah i i don't know it's it's frustrating i from the very beginning i feel like the kids should have been on campus all along and i know they shut a bunch of stuff down but um a lot of these campuses were empty and a lot of these guys were sent home to hot spots where the virus is you know it's Dallas and Houston are, are hotspots. There's, there's a lot of virus that was going on there. Um, I think the numbers are better now, but I don't know if, if you have knee jerk reactions though. And whenever guys test positive, instead of just saying, okay, we'll deal with this. We'll separate them. We'll go through the proper protocol. Um, if their symptoms are bad enough to where we have to hospitalize the hospitalize the guys, you do that. But I think you just continue to manage it. And you, you, I think it's dangerous just to go, oh, my God, what do we do now? And just throw everyone into a panic instead of, you know, you should have assumed something like this was going to happen whenever you, you brought all the guys back and started working out. 
I think the only the only difference in this situation because we've seen Alabama had eight guys test positive or whatever. There have been other places and they've been able to absorb it just like you said because they tested everyone when they came back and they had all these plans of all right once we test everyone when they come back they're going to work out with the same cluster of guys and only really come in contact with them and so if someone tests positive we know exactly who they've been around Houston for reasons I cannot fathom yet again didn't test everyone when they came back and so now you got to wonder all right well who else was he potentially around and who else potentially had it like this feels like something so unique and I, I you know we haven't seen like a rollout of everyone's plan, but we've talked to coaches from South Carolina, certainly in South Bend, everyone else who it seemed to be pretty uniform across the board. We were going to test everybody when they got back. And so it leads to exactly what you just said, the ability to be able to absorb this a lot more commonly say, all right, we knew when we tested all of these people, there were going to be some positives. We had the stuff ready to handle it. Not, well, let's leave a million variables open because we decided not to shell out the extra few hundred dollars to make sure that everyone on here could get a test yeah and and, I mean Joe Castiglione talked about the cost of the tests this week I mean and when you're looking at testing the entire team the entire staff yeah it's expensive but guys these programs just have to come to the realization that they are going to have to spend a boatload of money on testing their players this year that's that's just reality, and I know it, it's been rumored, hey, fifteen dollars to $18,000 for one round of testing, you know, for the entire roster and all the staff that would need it. Okay, yeah, that's a lot of money, but think about all the money you lose if you don't play the season. That's the way that I see it. You got to just fork up the cash, and that's the weird part about Houston. They've got Tillman Fertitta. What – He's been throwing around cash there forever. What? Why didn't they just ask him? I, I, it doesn't make any sense. It's just dumb. It's stupid. I don't know how else to put it that they didn't test their guys when they got there. Well, here's the other thing: is you know, have we? Do we know? Did they test them all now? Have they said okay? Well, let's test everyone. Well, have, I, they're symptomatic, so I assume that they tested them and they tested positive. Now it's like, oh great, well, now you know. <laughs> like, well, I'm like, saying like, if if at this point you say, well, we better go ahead and test everyone that's here, and and if you do that, and maybe you find a couple more five, six, the thing to remember is the protocol for a positive test is the same whether you have symptoms or not. Right. You know, so I know six guys tested positive and they've got symptoms, and I think that's what kind of scares everyone because we've had how many teams come back and haven't really heard of anyone having symptoms yet it's all asymptomatic guys like Oklahoma State had several of them and in Alabama so I think that the fact that they actually had the symptoms got everyone a little bit worried but the protocol's the same they just need to test everyone and see who they've gotten separated which for what it's worth I just looked back and pulled up their statement it did not make mention of we're going to test everybody now. There, that there makes too much sense, right? <laughs> they said, during this pause in voluntary workouts, UH Athletics will continue its stringent cleaning and sanitization protocols in all the facilities. UH Athletics will continue to partner with university officials, UH team physicians, and local health professionals to determine the best practices as it considers a return to workouts. I hope somewhere in that consideration they decide it would be a really good idea to test everybody. I really don't think that – I mean, they're following – Do you? did they really consult with everyone to figure out yeah. the best way to move forward? Because <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. But I, I am curious 
if the players there at Houston signed any sort of liability waiver like the players at Ohio State had to. The Columbus Dispatch comes out with the report that Ohio State players had to sign a COVID-19 liability waiver that outlines the risks involved, uh, and it calls for student-athletes to follow strict health and safety protocols. They put it under the fun, fluffy uh, title of the Buckeye Pledge, which is cute. Sure. But, guys, this like seems – that's a summer program or something, <laughs> a, a, yeah. a camp at a lake or something. But this seems like it's going to be pretty standard. And I would be interested in, you know, talking to other players across the country. I'm sure that guys have had to sign stuff like this everywhere. I mean, the the university has to cover its ass. I mean, it does. We have to acknowledge that. And I'm sure – these guys are happy to sign it, but some of their parents probably see it and they're not thrilled, but this is just a new reality. You're going to have to sign your life away with these coronavirus waivers, and it's just it, – I, I can't imagine that you'll be able to work out on campus or participate in team activities if you don't sign a liability waiver. It, it's just a weird time, right? And you just – it's – it's just added on to all the other liability waivers you sign as a college athlete. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting part is we're all very used to, like, seeing those statements of, like, you know. Uh, you may die. Like, okay, no, no, well, cool. So, but that's the, so that's the interesting part of this is I spent way too much of today reading about waiver and liability law and the way that you draft these statements. And that's one of the things that's missing from this is when you talk about like an assumption of risk, like this is like, this sounds like the sentiment of it all reads, we're going to try really hard at Ohio State to make sure you don't get sick. And you still might get sick despite our best efforts. The problem is usually it is like, Gabe, the amount of times that we all signed those documents that said risk of permanent injury or death in there. And you just go, well, yeah, no, I, I understand. That's part yeah, of the drill football. and all this. Yeah. Yeah, sports. Yeah. But like, that's not in this statement, which is interesting. And so I really wonder, like, if this was a liability waiver, we've all read enough of those to know this isn't like a very specific or strict one. And so I just wonder if this is something, if push came to shove, because this is a pandemic and because it's not things that we normally deal with, if there was something that happened, would a parent be able to actually go after this and pursue it in a legal way? Because this doesn't seem like the most ironclad document I've ever signed. I don't know. I That stuff's all really interesting. I don't know. I mean, if, if we're in a situation where a player can this season, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whatever, a player can get the coronavirus and come back and sue the university for putting them at risk. I mean, if that's actually – if there's a, a process for that to happen, then we're kind of screwed because ultimately someone's going to get it. And how, how could you ever, how could you ever find out that you actually got it from the university? Yeah. Someone there may have it, but did you go out to eat? Did you go to a bar? Did you go to any parties? I mean, did you touch the doorknob whenever you're going into Seven Eleven? I mean, how can you ever find where the, the person actually got it? And, I mean, that's a that's really worrisome to think about. If 
if we're in a, a situation where the universities feel like they may be able to be sued if a player or a, a student athlete comes up with the virus, then, I mean, that's just – that is a scary road to go down because – you also get, you got to remember how these general counsels at universities and within athletic departments, really cautious, they, yeah. yeah, they, I mean, they're lawyers. They're, they're looking at this from a worst case scenario perspective. So they're doing the smart thing, right? Hey, we're going to cover that base. We're, we're going to make sure we cover. We're going to have all the guys sign this waiver and I'm sure they'll happily sign it. I will be interested to see if we start seeing any guys not sign it and what happens to those guys? Like if they're allowed to work out, to play, to practice, I don't think they would be. And I know that sounds drastic, but once again, you've got all these hotshot lawyers at these schools telling people what they got to do, Mike. Well, and so this is the interesting part of all of this is one, it says very clearly at the bottom, they can't touch your scholarship. If you are out of line with any of this, like they can't come after that. Now, how this aligns with some of your scholarship language is interesting, but a lot of it seems like also you're saying, I'm going to follow all of the health guidelines. Like it seems like just as much of that of I'm not going to be allowed to work out unless I agree to follow all these health guidelines. So part of me thinks it's almost kind of giving the coaches a tool of saying, all right, if a kid's told he's got to show up in this spot and he's got to wear a mask and he's got to do X, Y, and Z things, and you know how it is. Like, guys balk on uniform stuff around locker rooms all the time or any of those enforcements, and they say, well, what are you going to do about it? Now a coach can say, well, if you show up and you're not wearing a mask at the spot or you don't check in with a trainer right now, we can, we can legally not let you work out on here. We won't take your scholarship away, but you won't be able to be with the team. And we know the whole voluntary air quotes thing. If you're not there with the team, that's probably got some other ramifications to, for you. So – that's where all of this gets to be like a weird middle ground is part of me looks at it and goes, well, if you're trying to enforce a bunch of very strict health policies on a group of 18 to 22 year olds that aren't always receptive to following that level of direction, maybe like maybe in the best version of this, that's what this document is trying to do. I, I'm still not sure. And I've read the thing like 10 times now. I can see it going like this. Uh, how are we doing on the waivers? We got all the players to sign them. Yeah, coach, everyone except for Justin Fields, he says he's not signing the waiver. Okay, throw the waiver away, get rid of it, just bring the guys back. <laughs> I mean, we don't need the waiver. Listen, we, just, we don't we need just it. Watched, we just watched a bunch of players get, like, names taken off of buildings and getting signs taken down right now. Like, the players all kind of woke up and realized, hey, if we all say we're not going to do something – these people need us an awful lot. So you're right. If one school, if one group of kids is just like, yeah, we don't think this is fair and we're not going to sign it. You're right. It would probably go, it probably go straight to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. We've reevaluated and yeah, we're okay with not we've signing dis away. We've discussed it. We've discussed it with our student athletes and, and we have uh, adjusted our course accordingly. Now you, you guys mentioned that, but, we're starting to see, especially college football players, use their voice more and become more comfortable speaking out publicly. You see Trevor Lawrence and what's going on at Clemson with the protests, but you also see what's going on at the University of Texas. And student athletes at Texas are demanding changes. Guys, they no longer want the eyes of Texas as the school's song. 
They want four campus buildings that are named after Confederate or racist figures renamed. They want part of the football stadium named after Julius Whittier, the Longhorns' first black player. And they want the athletics department to donate a little over a million dollars to black organizations and the Black Lives Matter movement, which all of these things, when you look at it through the eyes uh, of a black student athlete, I mean, make perfect sense. Now, that's not a perspective we had, guys, and we still don't have because we're all white dudes, but it, it seems pretty doable to me. All of it seems pretty doable except for them changing the school song. I don't see any way in hell that Texas is going to change the eyes of Texas. I, I, and I know that the first time there was, there was controversy with the early 1900s, what there was blackface involved in this whole thing. The, the first time that it was played, like, and I get that and, and I get the sensitivity of that, but I can't imagine them going away from that song, Mike. I, I just, I can't. And I know that the player said, that they're going to go ahead and practice and still play, but they won't participate in recruiting or alumni events until these changes happen. I, I think they're going to get several of them. I think the buildings will get changed. I, I think they'll probably get the donation component. Um, yeah, but I, I really don't see them changing the fight song. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. Like we said, the players have the power, but, man, that would be – that would be interesting. And we have seen, if you look not too far away in College Station, there are some things going on today and yesterday. Did, that did you see those airy. old men leading yells to drown out the protesters? That was one of the weirdest damn things I've ever seen. These, like, 60-year-old guys. Those people, that's a cult. Those A&M people, that's a cult. It, it, but, but like you said, like, around certain things, and you mentioned the eyes of Texas being one of them, like, People draw an interesting line, and this is one of those times where you're right, guys, and especially in mass, like the Texas team seems pretty, you know, together on the idea of going forward with these demands. It would hit harder if their team was better. Like, that's just, that's also like the very sports reality of a lot of this is all of these demands hit a lot different. Like, if Texas had won 11 games last year, this would be, and we looked at this situation and they were ranked in the top five preseason or something like that. Like this, this would hit a lot different, I think. And that, the that's why the Clemson be, stuff is getting so much attention, right? Cause Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. Like at, at some point in college football and the way that we govern, you know, morality and sports, the more you win, the more likely we are to agree with your side of things. Here's what's interesting about this whole thing. And, you know, I had no idea about the eyes of Texas or its origin or. It's just what it, that's what I read about it. You know, I, yeah, you're, I'm not you're, you're right. You're exactly right. Anything. And apparently this isn't like this thing wasn't hatched like over the last week. Apparently there's a bunch of players that have played at Texas for a long time that have not they've never been comfortable with this song and uh, after kind of reading the history and looking looking back well, if at that's it, the case then change it yeah it I mean, makes just change it. It. It, it it totally makes sense now here's here's where it gets interesting for me 
you know, because they've, they've asked for some of the campus buildings to, to change their name and, and pull down some of the monuments and, and all of that stuff's interesting. But my question is, where's the line? Because they want part of the football stadium named after Julius Whittier, uh, the Longhorns' first black player. Here's what I think is really interesting. The stadium is named after Daryl K. Royal. Now, Coach Switzer talks all the time about one of the big advantages that Oklahoma had going in recruiting the state of Texas is that the University of Texas would not recruit black football players. Okay, Julius Whittier was the first uh, black football player at Texas is 1970. Okay, um, they won the, the last all-white national championship in 1969. Okay, and there were calls all along to integrate that football team, and they didn't do it. Over, like, a long span, they only gave six scholarships to, to black football players there. Daryl K. Royal was asked about it several times during that tenure, and, you know, he, he never made an effort to do it. Like, I know we're Oklahoma, but I just conversed that Oklahoma won a 1956 national championship with our first uh, black football player on their print of Scott. So you compare that 1956 all the way to, to 1969. That's like in the middle of the, the civil rights movement and everything. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, because this isn't new with Daryl K. Royal either. So are, are they going to want the name of the stadium changed at some point? Like they should. I mean, since it's named like, after an OU guy. <laughs> exactly. I'm just wondering like where, where exactly <laughs> Like, what's the line? Because – No, that is interesting. You're right. That's, that's a good point, Ted. So, like, whenever you start li- looking into the history of, of the Texas football program, and I'm sure some people are doing that a little bit more right now, uh, I, you can kind of count down the minutes until that article is going to be written on Daryl K. Royal coming up here. I, I think what you said is probably the most noteworthy all this, too, is – this isn't new. It's been building and guys weren't comfortable speaking up. And we saw that with a lot of what's happening at Iowa with Chris Doyle right now and their strength program of guys have felt a certain way about this, but it wasn't until recently that they felt like voicing their opinion would do anything other than get them shouted down by their fan base. And now that people have been forced to listen, you saw, and with them, it started with guys that had been you know, players on the team and we're pros now and didn't have any fear of repercussions. But for the guys at Texas now, it's all right. We know our voice is going to get heard. And like you said, this had been building for a while. We just now got to talk about it. Yeah, and, and Chris Del Conte, Texas athletic director, said that, you know, they're going to look at you know what these student athletes said and, you know, look at all of that stuff very carefully. Um, it, it will be interesting to see if it develops uh, to – Maybe, maybe to see if it escalates at any point where you've got players saying, hey, we're not going to practice, we're not going to play. Because if they take a stand like that, uh, I think that University of Texas, they, they'd be forced, right? And I could foresee that happening if, if the leadership of Texas comes out and say, like, hey, we hear you, but we're not changing any of this stuff then I think you could see some, especially these football players, like what happens if they come out and say, you know what, we hear you, we understand, we're not changing the buildings, we're not changing the song. All of a sudden, a guy like Sam Ellinger comes out and goes, okay, well, then I'm not playing. 
that we would get have a, very uh, interesting. High stakes game of poker going on between the uh, athletics department and the players. That would, I mean, that'd be fun to watch. Be very. I mean, we, do, sure. we just saw Marvin Wilson do that at uh, Marvin Wilson do that at Florida State, and they blinked in a heartbeat. Like the best player right. on their team was like, "We're not doing any of this stuff," and they're like. All right, my bad. We're going to do everything the way you wanted it. But it is weird, especially after Trevor Lawrence has been out here as supportive of guys as he's been. There is probably some renewed pressure on other big-time quarterbacks, especially some of the big-time white quarterbacks right. at a place like Texas, to say, all right, listen, that guy showed out and was with, all, with, with everybody here. Are you going to be with us in that same way? And I know Sam put out a video at the start of all this and supported his teammates and talked about a lot of the issues, but – especially with what they got got going on right now. It's a very interesting way to look at this. Now, now Mike, you mentioned, you know, the issues with Chris Doyle there, highest-paid strength coach in the country there at Iowa. I would be shocked if he returns as their strength coach at any point in time. But Monday, you know, the athletic director, Gary Barta there at Iowa, announced that they are having a press conference Monday afternoon Boys, what's going to happen? I, I, is, it, is it just Chris Doyle going? Or is this something where we could see Kurt Ferentz on his way out there at Iowa? Because at, at this point, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked because, I mean, how many guys that played at Iowa have come out and said, especially black players, have come out and said that the environment just wasn't good? for those guys and ultimately and I firmly believe this and I'll believe it forever when it comes to college football everything starts at the top it, it all starts with the head coach and the reason that I think that way is because that's what Bob Stoops would say all the time that it always started with him everything that went on in the program even if he didn't have any knowledge of it it was on him because it was his program so I look at Kurt Ferentz and what happened with Chris Doyle and how these he made these kids feel. And, you know, we we all probably felt very sad at points in time in our college football career being the strength coach. <laughs> yeah. But is Kurt, is Kurt Ferentz going to be the head coach of Iowa on Tuesday? I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if he says, you know what, I'm retiring. Well, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, it's funny – that I feel like all strength coaches hate everyone on the team with an equal passion, right? Uh, every single guy on the roster uh, scum. gets destroyed. Um, but, you know, and we did see the uh, the wide receiver, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, that came back and said that he felt like uh, Coach Ferentz uh, orchestrated the raid on his apartment when he got – Oh, yeah, that was nuts. Yeah, he was the first – He was really the only one that came out and said – like, hey, no, Kirk Ferentz, not cool with me. Everyone right. else seemed to have Kirk Ferentz's back, but, oh, certainly not that guy. I forget the guy's name, but. Here's, you know, every now and then you're presented with something that you've got to sit down in a meeting and you've got to say, let's look at this closely, folks, because we've got an $800,000 a year strength coach. We've got Coach Ferentz, who we just extended through 2025. Now, if we want it, what we have here is an opportunity out of a contract and out of a massive buyout. So if we feel like we've got 
enough to fire them with cause, then we've got an opportunity. I'm just saying. Especially with, you don't really know what your revenue is going to look like this year, what seating capacity is going to look like. You already missed out on a lot of money from the NCAA tournament. Hmm. Like if you ever it's, feel like you, you want to uh, make a change and sometimes it presents itself, hmm. you got to look a little bit deeper at it. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but if they wanted to, they'd have an opportunity to say some serious cheddar. They, they would, and, but, and also for Iowa, I guess, just as a program trajectory, it's what do they think they can be? Like, does Iowa think within the body of the Big Ten in 2020 that it can, with a proper, you know, with a change right now, because that's part of the difficulty is Kirk Ferentz, you know, even in the college football playoff era, has had some success on the top end, double-digit win season, stuff like that. But you knew they were never going to beat Ohio State. They're probably never going to, you know, compete on that level with those guys. And so do you think there's trajectory for more? Because in all likelihood, I look at the situation and say – He's one of, like, the last remaining sort of, like, figurehead name coaches that's going to be around at a place like that to that tenure. Do they give him another chance to kind of write it and say, all right, like, you saw what happens. You mean enough to us and vice versa where we think we can work this out. There wasn't enough directly implicating you in all of this for us to feel compelled to make a change. We're going to ask you to do a very difficult thing in college football, which is fire your strength and conditioning coach that's been with you for two plus, you know, two plus decades there. And we all know here, like that might be the second most important coaching position on the entire staff because the amount of time they get with guys and that relationship that those two have. But I, I my gut tells me they're going to give Ferentz a chance to, to kind of right the ship on this and be I'm on the, you. You know, the, the right side of history, so to speak in all of this. But you bring up some interesting points about the potential out you have financially for a lot of this. Cause that's, that's a very real thing. Cause I do know a coach that, you know, played there's currently on. Oh, don't do it, Teddy. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> You're you know, going to make wanted, all the OU fans mad. They wanted him in 99. He, they, people say he was close to going to Iowa then. I don't know. Bob Stoops. Maybe if he's wanted to get back in the game, maybe they made that call. That's why they have the, the press conference already made the call. He's interested. Oh, okay. gosh. This, is, <laughs> this isn't going to turn out well. Now, Mike, be, before we let you go, uh, I have to let you talk about what I would describe as probably your true passion, and that is The Bachelor. Because Matt James, who played wide receiver at Wake Forest, is the new Bachelor. I believe the first black Bachelor? Is that is that right? Yes. So he's the first uh, black male contestant on The Bachelor. Rachel Rachel Lindsay, who actually works for us at ESPN, was, I believe, the first uh, African-American female that The Bachelor franchise ever had. Big shout-out to Rachel, who is an absolute rock star. She's awesome. But, yeah, Matt is, uh, Matt's the, Matt is the first black male Bachelor in all this. So very interesting. Friends with Tyler C., who is another former Demon Deacon alum uh, there as well. So – uh, Nicole Arbach, who works for The Athletic, did a great write-up not too long ago on why former athletes, and a lot of them tend to be former football players, tend to have so much success in the franchise. So it bodes pretty well for them. Well, uh, I can't wait to see your tweets about it. And normally, when I do watch the episodes, and I don't watch them all, I, I do text you about it, and we have some fun back and forth. But 
Uh, now, I really appreciate your time, but how's your li- love life, bud? We, wh- wh- what's going on here? We still single or what's, a, we, we got lots of single women, I assume, that listen to this podcast. Like, uh, sh- should we have them reach out? Like, what's going on here? I, I'm just uh, shocked that they passed over your resume before they uh, decided to pick the other guy. I mean, come on. So, well, here's, here's the interesting plot twist on that. So before everything hit with COVID, The Bachelor started doing this traveling live show where they had a couple of former contestants who would be the hosts and they would do it, you know, casinos, all these different venues where they would get someone local from the area and they would have you go up there and they would get other singles and it would be like one bachelor or bachelorette and then 10 contestants and they would do it over the course of like three hours and you do like speed dating stuff up there there was even supposedly a fantasy suite which seems really wild Ooh. and really like you flirt with danger but i was supposed to be the bachelor for when it came to connecticut there was a live show plan for i think sometime in like the last week of march or the second week of april and it was supposed to be at mohegan sun the casino here in uh, southern connecticut and i was supposed to be the guy we shot like promo stuff for it at work we did all this stuff leading up to it and obviously they had to pull the plug like everything else. So I don't know now, like if they resume, do I still get to be the guy? How this works? Hold on. Did you, did you Instagram the pictures? Yes. I remember that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was like me in a full suit air humping. The weird part is, is I was doing a lot of like air humping and gyrating for the photo shoot and it was done on ESPN's campus. Like we did it at work. So I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, kosher or not with ESPN legal, but. That's great. It's a lot. So, yeah. So, I guess that's – I'm holding out hope, as is my mom, who is the biggest fan of me going on that thing ever, that that was going to work out. But, uh, yeah, listen, if any uh, single Sooner fans listening to the podcast want to holler at your boy, listen, send him my way, Gabe. I, I trust your I trust your guys' judgment on a lot of this. Gabe has known me for a long time, too. So, I feel like I feel like at the very least he, could, he would set me up to win here. Yeah. I, I – We'll take care of you. I'm sure we'll have some ladies reach out. Now, you can catch Mike on Golic and Wingo on ESPN Radio. What It's also on ESPN2. I watch it all the time, see your beautiful face in the morning. Uh, you can catch him everywhere on ESPN. He can talk it all. You're not, you're not just there because you're your dad's son, Mike. I don't care what everyone says, buddy. I'm there because of my beautiful thighs that I show off now that we're back on TV. I, I like to saw it's that. All, it's, all, it's all my good looks now. Appreciate the time, buddy. Thanks, man. Good stuff, man. Thanks for having me, fellas. Thanks to Mike Cole Jr. for that. Ted, I, I love that guy. He is, he is the absolute best. Ball of energy. I love it. Um, very smart guy, obviously. Uh, some really good insight there on, on different things, but uh, fantastic guy, that's for sure. You, you offensive lineman, man. I, we're just we're just good at this stuff. It's, yeah. it's what we do, and and Mike is going to become kind of a regular on this podcast uh, with some discussions that we've had. So uh, really appreciate his time, Ted. But let's move on to our segments, and since it is Monday you know you're going to get some football guys talking basketball. Yes, FGTB. And there are more details about the NBA schedule and more details about the rosters and the construction of those when the NBA returns. 
Um, Woj and Shams put some of the dates out there. You're going to see a training camp in Orlando for the 22 teams from July 9th to 29th. And there's going to be three inter-squad scrimmages within that training camp. You'll start seeing seeding games. Remember those first eight games that the teams are going to play. That'll start July 30th. The playoffs will begin August 17th. And then the NBA Finals will take place September 30th to October 13th. What do you think about the layout? I I mean, it just, it's so weird to see NBA basketball going to finish October 13th. And I'm over here going, when's OU Texas? That's right. We're going to be watching uh, NBA finals during OU Texas. It's, it's weird. I don't know, honestly, if it's going to be better for basketball or worse. I mean, I know there's a lot competing there with college football and NFL football, all of it happening. So, I mean, people are definitely going to have to decide a little bit as to what they're going to watch. But, you know, you can avoid the the hot spots for football if you really want to. I mean, you know, the weekends, Thursday through Sunday, really we're hitting, hitting football pretty hard. But, you know, Friday night, which, you know, I know it's not the best television night, but I think it's it's going to be interesting. It might be kind of cool, but – I just I, I can't decide yet. It's going to be really weird, but I'm anxious to see like actually what it looks like. How many people are watching? Do people pay attention to it, or are they going to check out because football's going? I I did see something that said like, well, Game Seven would be on October 13th, so that the NBA can avoid going head to head with Monday Night Football on the 12th. I was like, at that right. point, guys. I, I, Monday night I, football may be the best option to go up against, you know, yeah. uh, if you think about it. But maybe I, it'll I be know. Bills Jets, right? I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be interesting. You know, one of the things that we've talked about a little bit, but I wonder what type of play we're gonna see. I mean, by the time the NBA playoffs it should be in around, great shape. Yeah, that's what I'm. I mean, I'm wondering if. You know, are we used to seeing tired legs in in the grind? I mean, it's a long season, and by Had the a time huge you get break. to the, yeah, well, what happens? Well, I'm, I'm saying, like, are we when we're typical a typical NBA season in the playoffs? Are we seeing tired legs, guys that are worn out from a long season and right. injured, as opposed to now, everyone should be extremely fresh coming in. Is the ball is the basketball going to be sloppy? Are the guys going to be conditioned? It's just it's kind of well, interesting to think about. What happens in, uh, I mean, this buildup, I mean, these guys have plenty of time to be in shape. And I know that, you know, you got to play basketball to be in basketball shape. I understand that. But the argument could also be made that this could be some of the best playoff basketball we've ever seen because the guys are going to be fresh, mm-hmm. right? Because they had this big, long break. Now they're going to have the eight games to work some of the rust off. They're going to have the mini training camp, the whole thing. But, I mean, if you get fresh players, it it could lead to some really damn good basketball, and it could be really fun to watch for fans. So I did. That's that's what I'm hoping that happens. Now, will it work out that way? I have no idea. Will guys be missing shots left and right? Maybe. But what happens if they're fresh? They've got their legs. They've all been working on their games. 
right? What else have they been doing? I mean, come on. It's what you do for a living. I mean, they've been in the lab, right? That's why I think the team to watch is the Clippers. I mean, healthy, healthy Kawhi, healthy Paul fresh. George. I mean, I would say that that's going to be a defensive heavy basketball team and um you know they're going to rely less on uh like ball movement and being in rhythm offensively and i don't know i i i kind of like the clippers right now if if they come back ready to roll yeah um a couple other notes for when the nba returns uh, teams can bring as many as 17 players to orlando Playoff rosters will be 15. And one really interesting thing is that teams can replace any player who tests positive for the coronavirus with a substitute player. Now, if they have to bring them from outside of Orlando, that substitute has to quarantine for, I believe, uh, a full week. And there is going to be a transaction window in late June where a team like the Thunder could sign Lou Dort to a standard contract if they wanted to. Now, I'm not sure they're going to do that because they could just let his contract run its course and expire and then match any offer sheet this summer because they'll be a restricted free agent and they'll be able to. So it kind of saves you some cash now. So I don't really see – I and I'm not a capologist. Uh, I don't know enough about it, but it doesn't seem like they need to do that because you get your two-way guys. Now, as far as I understand, Lou Dort on the two-way contract is able to play in the playoffs. Like, there's no rule against that. So, I don't know why the Thunder and the Thunder already have an open roster spot in general, and we still don't know exactly what's going to happen with Andre Robertson. But, Ted, the big story coming out of the weekend in the NBA, second thoughts for, uh, for some of the players? Um, I, I know some guys think that maybe playing and, and going to the bubble there in Orlando may take away from the racism conversation that is very prevalent in this country right now. And I, I think it makes sense. Like, like I get it. They don't want to take, momentum away from the movement that's going on and because the nba is vast majority black athletes we we know that but couldn't they have picked anyone but kyrie irving to lead this charge i mean right. come on yeah he's he's yeah he's he said the earth was the flat way. ted yeah he's, and he wasn't joking yeah I, I, I don't know here's the thing you know, if the guys are having second thoughts and they don't want to take away from the conversation that's taking place, well, then don't. You don't have to go to Orlando, play a basketball game, and then keep your mouth shut, right? You can say just as much there, and you'll have a bigger platform there than anywhere else. That's, so. that's how I was seeing it. It's like, People are going to be watching the games. You can use the – I mean, you can use all the interviews to get your message out, say what you need to say, uh, in-game interviews, post-game interviews. Uh, they're going to have a gigantic platform when they go and play those games in Orlando. I mean, there's going to be all kinds of attention on them. 
now maybe I'm thinking of it wrong, but it seems like that attention would be more helpful to the cause, right? If they well, put the proper messages out there. Am, am I crazy for thinking of it that way? Well, I'll give you the flip side of that. No, you're not thinking of it the wrong way. You're thinking of it the right way. But um, if, you, if these guys do that, they're obviously throwing their brand at risk, right? Right. So is it easier to sit back and let the conversation go on elsewhere without having to throw your hat in the mix and possibly disrupt um, what it is that you've built with your brand? Because, you know, right, wrong, however you want to view it, that if you if, if these guys start using the the cameras and the interviews and the and the actual game broadcast to um, have some type of you know protest or whatever it is going on that will affect their brand you know some people will not look on that kindly so I mean that's the that's just kind of looking at the flip side of it if if that's what they're thinking possibly but you know, other you than that, you don't think they're going to adopt the Baker Mayfield mentality? Like, hey, if it makes you mad, it makes you mad. But hey, I am what I am. This is what I believe. And if I lose fans, then I'll deal with that. I, I, I would assume the NBA guys would adopt a similar, would adopt the Baker Mayfield mentality, right? That we saw from the weekend. Well, if you watch the way they dealt with the China situation, then no. Uh, that you would <laughs> not think point. That. you would think that all of a sudden they would go completely quiet on the uh, on the top well, the 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 bottom line is i i think the players yeah i i think they should go play i think they should use that opportunity to you know further the cause further the battle that they're fighting for racial injustice in this country i think that's a great way to do it and Frankly, if they don't play, they don't get paid. And that's it's it's not a you know a moral decision or a philos uh, what's the philosophical philosophical nailed I don't know it. you nailed it, <laughs> nailed it. whatever that word is. And it, it's not that it's just a business decision like you you got to play to get paid. I mean that's that's how pro sports works and when Bobby Marks laid it out on Twitter, like said, hey, the players can do what they want. Of course they can. But the financial hit that the players in the league would take if they don't play, there would be $1.2 billion lost in player salary. There would be $2 billion lost in revenue to the league. And it would give the NBA leverage to tear up the collective bargaining agreement and negotiate a new one going into next year where the salary cap is going to take a hit because of those Massive revenue hit. shortages. So it's going to take a huge hit. I would think if they, if they factor in the full loss of the revenue, then yeah. Substantial. So the, the players have a lot to think about. This is Which, extremely dude, complicated. Think about if you're a guy like, Trey Young's coming up on his his next deal. And before the coronavirus, he was set to sign a deal that w- would have been a $200 million contract. And 
you know, if that, if, if the salary cap changes that much because of the, the hit to revenue this year, that could affect his salary, not just by a couple of million dollars, by like 50, 75 right. million dollars over the length of four or five years. That's insane. Well, when you think about it, these guys are going to have to weigh the future of this country when it comes to how black people are treated and their financial future. They're going to have to weigh both of those things. That's, that's a lot. I mean, that's, that's tough, but I, I still firmly believe that the vast majority guys of guys are going to show up in Orlando and play, and we're going to get NBA basketball, and Thunder are going to win it all, and there's not going to be an asterisk, and I am going to love every second of it. All right, right. Uh, let's move on to our winners and losers of the weekend. Ted, like man Toby Keith says, we got winners, we got losers. Who you got as your winner of the weekend? Okay, so I've got a winner and I've got a loser, but – they both can either be a winner or a loser. So I'm just going to give you a name and you tell me winner or loser. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Bryson DeChambeau. Winner. Beefcake. Everyone was talking about him. No, exactly. Winner. Finish what? Because, second? Yeah. He's now 250 Third? pounds. He went from a dork to a defensive end. And it's unbelievable. He is jacked out of a skull. And he says – he wants to get to 280? Why? I mean, <laughs> what is he doing? How that helps your golf swing, I have no idea. I, you know? I'm telling you, there's, there is a mathematical reason he wants to get there, right? He, he talks about the angles and what all the irons, the same length, all that stuff that people may have been making fun of him for for years. There is a math reason he wants to get that heavy. I'm not sure what it is but we need to find out. No, I was going to say he's a loser because he's done the equivalent of hitting 70 home runs in a season, all right, which means everyone in the world right now is talking about whether or not he's doing it, talking about DeChambeau being on some type of performance-enhancing drug, and whenever that happens, the tests start coming around, and we'll see what happens. But well, that's how he would have it, been my loser. In his defense, he won – $366,000 this weekend. So, solid weekend. Good for him. Hey, how about that? Okay, so since he was the winner, the loser, unfortunately, has to be Baker Mayfield. Um, Ooh, you know, he, disagree he, with that. but Well, I'm just – he came out with his stance, which, you know, uh, power to him for that. And But, you know, when he talked about it, if you're with me, you're with me. If you're not, you're not. There's going to be a, po a lot of people that are not. Um, and Correct, that's, for that's, sure. Uh, that's unfortunate for him. That's just the way it's going to be. And, you know, here's the one thing that will help. <laughs> Win football games. That's you know, it. <laughs> if, if you go out there and start losing, it's going to be amplified even more so. So, um, you know, I, that's why I had him or he, you could pick him as a winner or a loser. You know, unfortunately, he may end up losing some fans out of this, which, you know, you know, whatever, uh, that's, that's just kind of how it's going to go. But it's yet another thing that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a microscope on Baker Mayfield even more. Right. And, you know, you can have whatever stance you want to have when it comes to kneeling for the anthem. I think at this point it is very well documented that it is in no way trying to disrespect the flag or the military. 
I mean, you've heard guy after guy after guy say that. You've heard military members say that. I will always respect people, and that's Baker Mayfield and what, what he did this weekend is a perfect example. I will always respect people that say, hey, I know that people aren't going to like this, but it's what I believe, so it's what I'm doing. I will always respect people that are true to themselves and that they they are doing what they think is right. I I respect people that don't care about what other people think and they do what they want to do because they think it's the right thing to do. I I, I can't criticize that. I, I'm not going to criticize Baker Mayfield. Uh, I'm sure plenty of people will. I'm not going to be one of them. I'm going to judge him by the way he plays on Sundays. That's how I'll judge him. So it is what it is. But, yeah, I think you're right, Ted. I think uh, he's going to lose some fans, and I think he made it clear. He doesn't really care. And he shouldn't. He shouldn't. Just play good football. All right, play my winner. Football. Yeah, play good football, and you'll be all right. Uh, my winner of the weekend goes to amateur golfers like us, Ted, like me and you. Because how many times have you had a two-footer, three-footer, and you either you, you don't even touch the cup or it lips out, you want to throw the putter into the lake, uh, you scream all the obscenities, and you feel like an absolute loser. Uh, that ever happened to you there, bud? Uh, sure. I'll tell you, my typical routine on a two- or three-foot putt is to step back, look at it for an extra long time, and give all the people I'm playing with time to say, oh, no, no, that's good. That's Pick good. Up, let's go. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's how I uh, usually attack the three-footer. Well, I, I assume Xander Schauffele wishes that happened uh, there on 17, where he was leading the tournament and then had just a brutal lip out. And then you saw Colin Marikawa miss that putt in the playoff. And I'm not going to lie. First of all, congratulations to Daniel Berger. That's a hell of a win there at the Charles Schwab Challenge. Uh, $1.4 million for a man, Daniel Berger. That's nice. nice. But watching those two guys miss those putts, it, it's just kind of one of the universal rules of golf. It makes us all feel better. It makes us all feel better. So we're the winners of the weekend. I watched those two guys miss those putts, and I go, hey, they're just like us. And that was just a bonus for me. After watching Jordan Speed three putt from three feet earlier in the week, uh, that was just a bonus, right? It's kind of like the 17th at – is it Spyglass, uh, the island green where guys are shanking it into the water all day long? It just makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. Yeah. So I, I saw them miss those, you know, three footers, and I was like, nice. I feel good. I feel good about myself. Uh, my loser. Now, if they would just hook it uh, four fairways over, like yeah. I do. That yeah, that'd be. If they were just I'm playing the hole from the uh, from the, the hole next door, then that then they would know what I really feel like. But yeah, uh, yeah, they were missing the three footer for uh, birdie or par, not missing the three footer for an eight like for, I was for triple bogey. Yeah, no, we've all been there. But uh, my loser of the weekend is lovers of the collegiate model, and and you know who you are. You love college athletics. You don't want it to change at all. Well, Florida, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis 
has other ideas because he has signed a bill allowing college athletes to make money from endorsements from their name, image, and likeness in the state of Florida. And that takes effect on July 1st, 2021, 18 months sooner than the bills that have been passed in Colorado and California. So the pressure is on the NCAA. They have just over a year to get Congress to pass federal legislation, which is what they want to happen, or they're going to have to deal with the patchwork of the state-by-state situation. I like it, Ted. I like Florida putting the NCAA in a bind, forcing the issue. The NCAA said, hey, trust us on this. And Florida said, nope, figure it out, figure it out. So loser of the weekend, people that love the collegiate model because that thing is about to die, my friend. Let me ask a quick question. And I agree with you. Let's say that um, Florida State, for example, Florida State right now is currently uh, under, this is hypothetical, Florida State is under investigation from the NCAA because a player took some type of benefit from someone that was deemed an NCAA violation. Now, if this law passes and some of those things are happening right now that in light of the new NCAA, whenever they issue whatever guidelines it is and all that takes effect, like that's going to be really weird, right? Because I know going like, what's the word for it? Like retroactively, is that the right word? Right. Where you would be able to go back and punish them because it happened before the law took effect. Right. It's, it's going to be, there's got to be some cases That's, out there. That sounds where, like something the NCAA would definitely do. So I, I think you're on to something, Ted. It's, it's just interesting. Like, for instance, uh, Oklahoma State's deal. Now, I know that, that that wouldn't directly impact any of the players that went on, or maybe Kansas's is a better example. And I don't know that whatever ended up happening there would be allowed under this new – um, new law or new guidelines that the NCAA is going to institute. But it's interesting, like, are they going to continue these punishments and people that are under um, ban, postseason bans or scholarship limitations for things that would now be deemed legal? So I don't know. That's interesting if any of those cases are out there. Yeah, that is I, – I can't imagine the NCAA – they're, they're going to hold on to that power as long as they can. We saw, we saw what they did to Oklahoma State's basketball program. Yeah, right. wonder how that appeal is going, uh, by the way. All right, Ted, let's oh, move on. I would guess really slow if I know yeah, the NCAA. Not, not, going, not going well, I would assume. Uh, let's move on to everyone's favorite segment of the podcast, and that is Keeping It Local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And it's always – our favorite when it is sports related. And this one is because Trey Young is the man. Uh, I mean, this is a 21 year old guy and the maturity and leadership that he's shown uh, in the Norman community and in the state of Oklahoma over the last couple of weeks has been impressive. Uh, Now we saw him speak 
at the peaceful protest there in Norman, did a great job, had a great message. We saw him be part of a letter that was written to Governor Stitt, along with Westbrook and Blake Griffin, to commute Julius Jones's prison sentence. But he made a big-time move this weekend, and he's agreed, I believe, along with his family, he's agreed to make a $4 million donation toward a multi-sport facility in Norman. Now he's going to get some naming rights and gets to help design it from what I understand. But Teddy, this is, this is right in your wheelhouse. This is a big time investment, big time gift from Trey Young to the city of Norman. He's been fantastic, man. He really has Um, just 21 years old. He's, (laughs) he's only 21 and how long it seems like, 10 years ago whenever he played for OU for that season, doesn't it? I mean, that seems like it was so long ago and he's was, accomplished such a great It was 2018 because I remember I woke up, I was in, we were in Hawaii on our honeymoon and I woke up to watch that game, uh, to watch them lose. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, for some reason, I don't know, it feels like he's been in the NBA forever and he hasn't, but just – his, this kid's maturity is it's just impressive to have this understanding at that age. I mean, it's that's big time, man. $4 million? Four, $4 million is a big chunk. I mean, and that's $4 million after you've paid taxes on it. That's really a close to an $8 million donation. So um, as, as far as earnings, uh, that's huge. Huge for the city of Norman. And, uh, man, I – I just hope that whenever it's done and it's it's designed the way he wants and it's named the way he wants that um, it gets the the use that he intends. And I think it's going to be great for the community. Uh, everyone in the city of Norman and surrounding area are going to be able to use it for whatever the purpose that he designates. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a, a basketball hoop or two in there. So that's going to be cool. Yeah, and I believe – also in an aquatic center. Maybe you can get Edward there yeah. you know, get, get him swimming some laps. That's right. We'll do it. We were swim, swimming some laps today. It's gonna be How'd cool. it go? Is he a good swimmer? He's pretty good, man. For a five, he's pretty good. He's, he's got it down pretty good. Last year, you know, he was, uh, he was iffy, and I was a nervous dad a lot, but now he's, he's pretty good. He could be trusted a little bit out there. Good. It's good to hear. It's good to hear. Um, all right. Let's finish it like we always do. And that is w- with a Twitter question from a listener. And this one is this one is right down your alley, Ted, okay. because it allows you to be a manly ass man. So <laughs> here we go. This one comes from John Rodriguez at Hamburglar underscore helper on Twitter, <laughs> which is an elite, elite twitter uh name uh he says name any celebrity you are positive you could beat up hmm. well i mean there's like any a, there's a bunch of them are we are we supposed to pick like the one that would be the biggest challenge so he he also added um he wants to know one that you could beat up or one you are positive you could beat up, and then one celeb you think could handle you. I think The Rock would beat my ass, right? Yeah. I mean, I would have to assume. So, I mean, that dude's 
mean, dude's got some yeah. serious muscles, but he's also he seems like never, a really nice dude. Yeah, you never know, man. You just you never know. He looks the part for sure, but uh, the Rock would that would be definitely one that you'd have to uh, pick that he could take you. Um, I'm trying to pick someone that I feel like, okay, this might be this might be a tight fight this may be you know a, a tough scrap and i could win it because or else i'd pick like leonardo dicaprio which i'd kick his ass in like 10 seconds you know what i'm saying so i don't want to pick it doesn't seem like that I, I don't think that dad bod is conducive to being a good fighter now we could be wrong but <laughs> listen he makes he makes the big bucks with the face too he's not one that's going to be uh, uh a guy that's prone to sticking it in there and trying to get in a fight man um you know, a lot of times people tell me that I look like Vin Diesel because uh, I've got the, the bald head, but it's frustrating because I know I could kick Vin Diesel's ass, so I'll pick Vin Diesel. So that's who you're going with, Vin Diesel? I guess. I'm, I'm going with an easy one. Um, I would beat the shit out of George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I would Now, I, I want to make it clear – I would never want to do that because I am a huge George Clooney fan. Uh, love his work as an actor. Uh, love his work as an activist. Love his work uh, when it comes to tequila, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. I think he, what, he does like Nespresso too. I love Nespresso. It's great. I love everything about George Clooney. But the guy's 5'11". And he's just, he's too pretty. He's too pretty. Yeah. It'd be an easy win. Easy one. I, no, I, that's true. I'm very, 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 very confident. And remember, they don't get their security guards, all the right. gigantic people around them that you're they're used to protecting them. Me and Clooney in an octagon love my chances. Love my chances. And what, I will celebrate it with him with some shots of Casamigos. For sure. What, what celebrity would you most like to fight, though? Like, honestly. Like Ooh. You, you want to fight them. Like you just don't like you them? You don't like them. You want to fight them. Oh, man. I, I, I don't really get that. I'd like to think that I don't let celebrities influence my life that much. I asked the question, and I'm sitting here thinking I can't even think of anyone. <laughs> I think – see, part of me thinks Kanye West because he just says some things where he's like, what are you talking about? But then I love his music, so I wouldn't want to harm him because I love music. Huh. We may have to come back to that one. Yeah, we're, that, that's one that we'll think about over the – maybe we'll just start – We'll start Thursday's episode with, you know what? We thought about <laughs> what this. What celebrity we want to fight. I've decided I want to fight so-and-so. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Well, Ted, episode 16 in the books. Uh, we'll have a new podcast that will drop Thursday morning where I guess we'll tell you what celebrity we want to fight the most. Uh, just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, channel 375. And if you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, you can email us at theoklahomabreakdown at gmail.com. We hope you all have a great week. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.
for just one more time.